0: Let's start with prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the people that you have brought into the room. Thank you for the words that you have given me to share with this congregation this morning, Lord. I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. Lord, that in my weakness we see only your strength. Father, thank you for your constancy. Thank you for your love. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Good morning. My name's Mary Harrison, and I am the Director of Discipleship Pathways here at Community West. To start, I want to invite you to consider with me for a moment the difference between a want and a need. There's a big difference, right? I need food to survive, but I want chocolate cake. (laughs) I need transportation to get to work, but I want a new car. They're not the same thing. Now, there's nothing inherently bad about wants. Some of them are quite good. They're nice to have. But the thing about needs is that they are essential. You know, as human beings, we get that mixed up sometimes. We mix up our wants and our needs. God never mixes that up. Our sermon this morning is from Mark chapter two. And in this passage, it's obvious that Jesus sees the needs of our heart clearly. He knows our needs before we can even utter them. It's one of the reasons that we can trust him. In Jeremiah seventeen nine, we read, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I can't understand my own deceitful heart. Who can understand it? God. God can understand it. We'll see in Mark today that people came to Jesus for all sorts of reasons. They came because he taught with authority. They came because they wanted him to cast out demons. They came because they wanted him to heal. But when they got up close to him, they experienced his love, and they witnessed his authority, and they had their deepest needs met. It's this last idea that really helped me with our key idea this morning. And the key idea this morning is that our deepest need is to be forgiven, Let me say that again. Our deepest need is to be forgiven. We're in week two of our sermon series called Clash of Kingdoms. And we're studying the gospel of Mark where Jesus has entered and the kingdom of God is near. Jesus announced the new kingdom in Mark 1 verse 15. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is a new rule, a new reign. Jesus' kingdom is destined to clash with the kingdoms of the world. Let's begin in Mark chapter 2. Now, instead of reading the passage through, I'm going to read it and teach on it as I go. So you may want to follow along in your Bible or you can look in the worship guide. But in the back of your mind as we're going through the scripture, I want you to keep that key idea in mind that our deepest need is to be forgiven. Let's begin Mark chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. So where are we? What's happening? Jesus has come back to Capernaum. He was there for a while, but he was healing and casting out demons, and the people were mobbing him, and he was having to withdraw a quiet place to get some rest he's come back into Capernaum he's back at home it's probably Peter's house but the word is out again people have mobbed the house they can't even get to the door what is Jesus doing well that second part of verse two and he preached the word to them I think that's really easy to miss We're hearing so much in the first part of Mark about his healing, his teaching, his casting out demons. But Jesus' essential role, and he preached the word to them. Let's not miss that. Now we have an abrupt shift in the narrative in verse 3. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Who came? Some men. Some men came. Presumably, they were men around the town that had heard of Jesus and had heard that he could heal. They're bringing to him a paralyzed man. Now, we don't know is he a friend or is he a family member? What we do know is that he's helpless because four of them are having to carry him. He's not a child because maybe one or two could carry a child, but this is a full grown, helpless man being carried to Jesus by his friends. I'd like to show a painting by Tissot, a French painter. And this is an image of the paralyzed man. It's called the palsied man let down through the roof. So this is an image of the sick man's helplessness. His arms are outstretched. They're flailing. He doesn't have control of himself. And here's Jesus. Face up, stre- face up, hands outstretched, ready to receive. Not surprised, not horrified, gazing at the paralyzed man. So what's next? Well, now it gets a little weird. Verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So it's such a big crowd, they can't get to Jesus. And I was trying to think of something in our context, and it reminded me of an outdoor concert. You know, the concert's about to start, and people stream in the gates. There's no chairs, but they they get up close to the stage, and people are standing. They've got their spot, sort of shoulder to shoulder. And You're not getting through. They're going to pretend they don't see you, aren't they? But they've got their spot. These people had their spot waiting for Jesus, wanting to hear. And then here come these four men carrying their paralyzed friend, but people are not politely moving out of the way. This verse makes it sound easy. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof by digging through it. Well, let's see what they were dealing with. Let's, we have a photo of a stone house that is typical of a first century house in the ancient Near East, made of stone, probably mud bricks. There's not really any wood. Wood was expensive. The windows are gonna be really small, so it's dark inside. But one thing I want you to notice is the staircase along the outside of the house and it goes up to this flat roof that was used really as another room back then now the thing about this roof and we have a picture of the inside of the roof is that it's not a solid structure the roof was made out of timber cypress or sycamore and it was the timbers were laid across the house and reeds And mud and clay were all packed in there together to make a roof. So these friends have gone through a lot to get their friend to Jesus. They have carried their paralyzed friend from his house, maybe through the whole town. They've dragged him through a crowd. The crowd probably hasn't been very nice about it. They've climbed the stone steps which does not look very easy to me four grown men and a man in a blanket that they're trying to grab and carry up some stone steps and they get up to the roof and then they have to kneel down and start digging through these reeds and these branches and this mud with their hands to get it out of the way also they can drop their friend down in the middle of a small stone house in front of Jesus. And I think we have to ask why. Why would they do that? And I think the only reasonable answer is that they believed that Jesus could heal him. Think about it. When you take your sick child to the doctor... You get them up out of bed, you bundle them up, you drive there, you wait in a room with fluorescent lights and lots of germs and other people, and you do it because you believe that the doctor has the power to help your child. And a personal story, recently one of our children had their tonsils out, and a few days later, in the middle of the night, because it is always the middle of the night. The wound started bleeding, and it wouldn't stop. And it was really scary. And Tom and I got her to the car, and we took her to the emergency room. Why? Because we knew that there were medical professionals with the tools and the expertise to help heal our child. In verse 5, it starts to get confusing. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. What? Wait, why is Jesus forgiving sins? Doesn't he know what they want? Doesn't he know they are there for healing? Why is he forgiving sins? Can't he see that the man is paralyzed? Well, what does Jesus see? Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus sees their faith. And when Jesus sees faith, Jesus forgives sin. Again, we have to ask, why would he do that? In my first read-through, I thought, is Jesus being difficult? Why won't he give this paralyzed man what he wants? And I think we're back to that, that tension between wants and needs. Because Jesus, Jesus knows what they want, but he sees their greatest need. And their greatest need has to be dealt with first, And that brings me to my first point. God can't ignore sin. We're currently in the second week of Lent. And in Lent, we focus on repentance. We invite the Holy Spirit in to show us where we've fallen short, to reveal our sins to us. Not not so we feel bad about ourselves, but because sin gets in the way of our relationship with a holy God. Sin entangles. It might start small, but the nature of sin is to grow. It's like a weed. If we ignore a weed, it chokes out the garden. And I think weeds and sin... I think they grow so much faster than healthy plants and holiness. How do we root out this sin? Well, like weeding, it's daily. Daily during Lent, we can ask God to reveal our sins to us. And I find one psalm in particular really helpful for me. In Psalm 139, verse 24... I love it. I, I, I pray it back to God. You can look it up in different versions, and you can pick the one that resonates with your heart. I particularly like the New Living Translation. In Psalm 139, 24, we read, Point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life feel hard? It does to me too. Sin is a hard thing to look at, but because sin keeps us far from God, we cannot ignore it. But this is where I say, take hope. Do not be discouraged because that verse, look at that verse, it's twofold. Yes, we are asking God, I'm praying to God and saying, point out, God, point out anything in me that offends you. And then I am trusting him and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So point out my offense and lead me to life. once we're aware of how we are offending God, we can ask for forgiveness. Remember, forgiveness is our greatest need. God closes that gap between us, and he leads us along the path to life. And like the man's friends who are down on their knees, digging through that mud and those reeds and those branches to get to Jesus, we might have to dig through a lot of filth. We might have to dig through a lot of mess and be faced with our own sin to get to Jesus. But there's good news in that story for us because those those friends, when they dug through all that dirt, they didn't clean themselves up before they went through the roof and appeared before Jesus. They just went just as they were. They dug through that filth, through that mess, and they stood in front of their Savior. Which leads me to my second point. Jesus forgives with gracious love. I think it can be hard to repent and ask for forgiveness. One reason is probably because we're just not ready to give up that sin. But another reason could be that maybe our main experience with forgiveness has been asking for it from a person who really doesn't understand forgiveness. You know, if people in our lives have made us suffer when we've come to them, why would we think forgiveness is a good thing? When we sincerely apologize and we only receive condemnation and ridicule, Why would we think forgiveness is a good thing? That makes it hard to understand how Jesus forgives. How does Jesus forgive? In verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. So interestingly, in verse 5, the Greek word that is translated as son is technon, which does not actually mean son. It means child. Child, your sins are forgiven. For the females in this room, I really want you to hear that. We're here. We're in this Child, your sins are forgiven. Do you hear the love? Do you hear the gentleness in that? Jesus sees our deepest need, our most desperate sin, and he calls us child, and he forgives us. I I don't know who might need to hear that this morning. Child. Child your sins are forgiven. When you come in faith, believing that Jesus has the power to heal you, child, your sins are forgiven. Can you hear that? Can you accept that? If you have struggled to accept the forgiveness and the grace that Jesus offers. I hope that today you can hear a fresh invitation in those words. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians that God is rich in mercy. When we come to Jesus in faith, we hear, Child, your sins are forgiven. We pick up with our story once again, and now we hear what the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, are thinking in verses 6 and 7. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're not speaking aloud. These are thoughts in their hearts, but Jesus hears them, and these teachers of the law are not... Engaged. They're not standing there with Jesus. They're sitting. They're sitting in judgment of him. They're accusing him of blaspheming. They're saying, Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew their hearts. And he responds in verses eight and nine Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Well, Jesus knows that it would be easier to heal physically than to forgive sin. Because only God can forgive sin. And now Jesus states his authority in verse 10. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So not only is Jesus stating his authority, he wants them to know. And this is where we have the clash of the kingdoms. This is where the clash of the the kingdom of Jesus is clashing with the kingdom of these religious leaders. They have shown that they know the law, only God can forgive sin, but they don't know the person who has come to fulfill the law. It is in the person and the name of Jesus Christ that we are forgiven. Peter tells us in Acts 10.43 that all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And now the final scene in the second part starts in the second part of verse 10. So he, Jesus, said to the man, "I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home." He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So this man has stood up. He has stood tall. He's walked out in front of everyone. This is not a secret healing. He's carrying his mat, so he's able to bend. He's able to pick things up. He's fully restored. Everyone was amazed, everyone is praising, and everyone is saying, we have never seen anything like this. And of course they haven't. This is a new thing. This is the kingdom of God that has come near. Which brings me to my third and final point, and that's that our transformation is a witness to others. In this transformation, what are they seeing? What's new? Well, everything's new. There's a new king. There's a new kingdom. And this is the king that knows that our greatest need is to be forgiven and he has the authority to do it. Our transformed, forgiven lives bear witness to others about Jesus' power to forgive. Our transformation helps other people See the truth of the gospel. Now there's one additional very important piece. And it's that now that we are forgiven, we are transformed to be a witness. We are also called to show forgiveness to others. Paul in Colossians says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So yes, our deepest need is to be forgiven, but we are also called to forgive. We have been healed in order to extend healing. As we've mentioned this morning, Lent is a time to turn away from our sins and toward the living God. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ... Now is the time to do it. No better time than Lent. Like the friends of the paralyzed man, maybe you're ready to admit that nothing else has really worked. Not exactly sure how to do it? These friends, this paralyzed man... They just came forward to Jesus in faith. When we come to Jesus in sincere prayer and let him see our hearts of faith, he accepts us and he looks at us with love and he says, child, your sins are forgiven. If you're already a believer, know that we don't just receive God's grace at the beginning of our spiritual journey. God's grace meets us again and again and again. It is inexhaustible. If you're already a believer, I encourage you to start a daily practice at the end of each day during Lent, confessing your sin. There is a multitude of sins that we confront each day. Pride, anger, envy, arrogance. The list goes on. But so does God's grace. Our sin is great, but friends, He is greater. And because we know how much we ourselves need forgiveness, we must extend that forgiveness. To others? How can we withhold from others what Jesus has so generously given to us? Our deepest need is for forgiveness. We hear, child, you are forgiven, so that we can turn and say to someone else, friend, you are forgiven. In this daily practice, you might want to try something new as you repent and forgive. Maybe a new posture of kneeling by your bed or by your favorite chair. And it might feel funny at first. But I really do believe that a humble posture helps cultivate a humble heart. Friends, let us come in faith, confessing our sins and allowing Jesus to meet our deep need to be forgiven. The church exists for the world. And when we love others, we encourage them and we forgive them. It is always, always for our good and for God's glory. Amen.